Friends, the Lord be with you. It is a joy to be worshiping with you on this third Sunday of Advent. The word Advent means coming. And we as followers of Jesus recognize that we live between two Advents. The first coming of Jesus, Bethlehem's babe, the word who became flesh and dwelt among us, and the second coming of Jesus, when Christ will come again in all of his glory. So we inhabit this time between two advents, and we wait. We wait not passively, but we wait actively. And we take our cues from Scripture. Look at this from Matthew chapter 24. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. The prompt here is not about physically staying awake, but spiritually staying alert, keeping watch orienting our lives around the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, orienting our lives with discipline, in obedience, and in humility. So this morning, I want us to be alert to two questions that today's text asks of us. Here are the two questions. Who is king and who is us? Who is king and who is us? So as we prepare to hear God's word, would you pray with me, please? Living God, may your word be our rule, your Holy Spirit our teacher, and the glory of Jesus our single concern in whose name we pray, amen. Listen with me to the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter two, verses one through 12, it'll be on the screen. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men, the Magi, and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. 
When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen in its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Who is king? Listen again to the text. In the time of King Herod, astrologers from the east asked, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? Now wait, are there two kings? Is this like an A team and a B team? One king is like a backup to another king. Is, is Jesus the understudy of Herod? After all, Matthew tells us in the time of King Herod, time appears to be ordered by Herod's kingship. These Gentile astrologers stumble into the court of King Herod and inquire where the newborn baby has been born. And Herod is afraid. I think he's paranoid. The text says all of Jerusalem was frightened. And history tells us that Herod had killed his three sons in his mad drive to retain the crown. So you can about imagine what these naive magi, when they ask, hey, where's the king? That they kindle a suspicion in Herod. And as we learn later in Matthew chapter 2, Herod's appetite for control, control of this crown, is partially satiated with the slaughter of innocent baby Bethlehem boys in order for him to keep the crown. Friends, in King Herod, we see what theologians call original sin. Herod is not merely the gospel villain. Herod is all of us. Look with me to one of the confessions of our faith, the Heidelberg Catechism question and answer 60. It'll be on the screen. Here's the question. How are you righteous before God? The answer, only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments, of never having kept any of them, and of still being inclined toward all evil, nevertheless, 
without any merit of my own. Out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. As if I had never sinned nor become a sinner. And as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. All I need to do is accept this gift with a believing heart. In the person of King Herod, we see the reaction of human nature to Jesus and to the kingship of Jesus. It's rebellion. The confession says, still being inclined toward all evil. This is why the Apostle Paul says, why do I keep doing what I don't want to do? Because if Jesus is Lord, if he's the true king, then we are not. Someone else is at the center of the universe. I am not. You are not. And Herod's response to a center of the universe other than himself is dis-ease. Disease. Sin. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 1, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth of the God-given knowledge of God in creation. It's not just Herod. It's all of us. And this is why the psalmist cries out, there is not one person who is righteous. No, not one who seeks God. Nevertheless, here's the hinge. Did you see it in the catechism? Nevertheless, out of sheer grace, in our baptism, we die with Christ and we rise with Christ. We are made new. We are forgiven. We are set free. And though we have a new identity and our name is beloved of God, we still are tempted. We still are tested. We still are prone to sin and inclined toward evil. Who is king? Here's the second question. Who is us? In Matthew chapter 1, Matthew opens his gospel with Jesus' family tree. Forty-two generations from Abraham to Jesus. Forty-two generations, four foreign-born women are named or are hinted at in the genealogy. 
This is Matthew's way of reminding his mostly Jewish readers that the family produced by the Messiah is far more diverse than people want to think. There are plenty of skeletons in the family closet. And Matthew is teeing us up for something. Matthew is hinting all along that God was up to something much bigger than just saving a whole bunch of people that look alike and act alike and think alike. Because the pinnacle of the family tree is Emmanuel. The very end of Matthew chapter 1. And you shall call him... Emmanuel, which means God with us. So if Emmanuel means God is with us, then just who constitutes the us part? Who is us? Q the Magi. These Gentile astrologers whose quasi-religion is as overtly condemned by Scripture as their foreign nature. Yet, they are at the head of the gospel according to Matthew. Here they are, a welcome presence at the bedside of Jesus. Here they are, included in the us of God with us, like Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba in Jesus' family tree. Friends, here, here's the irony. Outsiders seek and worship the Messiah. The insiders seek to eliminate the Messiah. By, by placing the Gentiles in this story and in the genealogy of Jesus, Matthew reminds us that God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is God of all people. Lest we forget how Matthew's gospel ends. It ends with the Great Commission. Go, therefore, to all the nations, teaching the gospel. It ends with the Great Commission to the nations, but it begins at Christmas with an invitation of the nations. Who is us? And this is a cool part of the story. The Magi are led to Jerusalem by a star. You get this? They're led to Jerusalem by a star, but scripture leads them to Jesus. Listen, the text says, and calling together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, Herod inquired where the Messiah was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, 
For so it has been written by the prophet. Friends, the star does not lead the magi to Christ. They meet Christ by way of Scripture. Look at Martin Luther's sermon. Look look at this. To have Scripture without the knowledge of Christ is to have no Scripture. Christ is completely wrapped in Scripture as the body in swaddling clothes. So too do we. In the, incarna- in, the, in the written word, we meet the incarnate word. And when the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. Here, Matthew gives us a clue for our Tuesday mornings and our Thursday afternoons. We do the work of the star because in just a few short chapters, Jesus will tell a crowd on a mountainside that they are the light of the world. So don't keep your light hidden, but let it shine for all people to see. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. So how are we showing up? on our Tuesday mornings and Thursday afternoons as the light that brings joy, the joy of Jesus. The Magi are under the power of grace. They're outsiders. And Herod, Herod is under the power of sin. The Magi's faith, Herod's unfaith. And they worship Jesus. And the four Gentile women in Jesus' family tree prepare us for the breadth of the Messiah's reach. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Who is us? It's all of us, it's the world. And the text says that after having worshipped Christ, the Magi went home by another way. Apparently, an encounter with Jesus means not only a new spiritual reality, they worshipped the Christ, Emmanuel, but it also means a new social reality. They went home by another way. Having encountered the word without a word, the life of the Magi has been reoriented. Friends, we know nothing else about these Magi. They don't come up anywhere in, in, in the Bible, anywhere else. But this we know. They had an encounter with the Savior of the world. They were overwhelmed with joy, and their lives were forever changed, and they went home in a different direction. I think the Magi are walking illustrations of God's grace. 
Look at this text from Hosea. God says, I will show love to those who were called unloved and to those who were called not my people. I will say, you are my people. And they will answer, you are our God. Herod reveals to us what human nature through sin has become. The Magi reveal to us what the sinner through grace may become. Maybe you're here this morning in faith. Maybe you're here this morning in rebellion. Or maybe you're a little bit of both. Here's the truth. When God looks upon you, God rejoices at what God has made. And you are called beloved because Christ, who is the king, meets us no matter where we are. Because the us of Emmanuel, the Christ, is all of us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Would you pray with me, please? Living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for your word. It is our nourishment. It is our food for the journey. We recognize, Lord, that apart from you, we have no good thing. And I pray for those this morning, Lord, who are in a stuck place. Maybe there's an ache in their heart so deep. Maybe there is a pain of such longing that they can't see past the dark. And so I pray, Lord, by your spirit, would you wrap them in the grace that fanned the flame of the Magi to walk to Bethlehem and to be overwhelmed with joy. Would you use Christ Memorial Church as a light to this community and to the nations? And would a generation yet unborn come to say, Jesus Christ is king because of the brothers and sisters here in this body today? Lord, fan the flame of your spirit in this place, both in this Advent season and beyond, so that the world would know there is one true king, and it is you, Jesus, whom we worship. We love you. In the name of Jesus and for his glory alone, amen. And let's stand and respond by singing together.